What's good, everybody? And welcome to another episode, another edition of the Black Men Unlearning podcast. I am your co-host, Kyle Brooks. And I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And in today's episode, we are taking on the topic of managing the highs and lows of adulthood. So many of us grew up with ideas about what we were going to do when we were grown. I mean, I know I definitely did. That's where. And lo and behold, now that I am grown, <laughs> good and grown, it's more than I bargained for. It's a trap. Man, <laughs> growing up is a scam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, in, in all seriousness, what we recognize is that trying to manage the necessities, the changes of adult life presents challenges that we aren't always prepared for and in, and not so much prepared for just in terms of uh, money and other resources, but prepared in terms of our emotional resources, our capacity to manage our disappointments, uh, to deal with unexpected changes and challenges that we just couldn't see coming. And so today we really wanna just dig into that, what it looks like for us to speak honestly about the challenges of adult life. And to be clear, it doesn't mean it's all bad. I enjoy my life, I find joy in my relationships and my connections to family, friends, uh, to my work, to my purpose. But it doesn't mean it's easy. And sometimes when we get stuck in a rut, when we get stuck in a cycle, it helps, I believe, to talk about what does it really take for us to manage day to day in our adult lives? So I would love to, to start, if I could, uh, Edwin, posing this question to you. What is the hardest part about getting out of bed in the mornings? <laughs> Man, um, I mean, on a, on, a, on a very just base level, it's because it'd it be so good to me, you know what I'm saying? Like this morning it was cold and I had my heat on with the temperature set at 70 because I can't be hot when I sleep, but I need, I, I like a nice, nice midpoint, nice warm, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, and then the sun not coming up as early as it, as it used to be, you know, cause we, we're in Ohio. So, um, winter is coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, it just, it gets, it gets, it got real good to me and I didn't want to get out of bed and get on my Peloton, but, um, no, like what, what's, I think one of the things that's challenging is just, you know, the day comes with so many things that must get done. There's always a to-do list associated with the day. And so I think I can have trouble with the getting started because it just feels like I'm always doing something. And, and it's that kind of feeling of busyness that is, um, it's fr frustrating, but uh, it's also paradoxical because I find myself 
and I, I've, I've been paying close attention to how I respond to questions about how I'm doing. So when somebody asks, how are you? You know, I, I find myself defaulting to busy, like it's some badge of honor or it's a feeling, right? Um, and and it's, it's not a thing that I like because it feels connected to some level of programming or socialization that I've accepted. Um, that sees my having this to-do list that I tend to dread at the beginning of the day, um, sees that as some badge of honor, some, some um, proof of my value. And that is not a way that I would like to think about my own life or actually just move through my life emotionally. So I've been trying to move away from describing myself as busy. Um, so yeah, like, you know, getting, getting, getting out of the bed in the morning, the hardest thing is just locking into the mindset and responsibility. Well, the mindset and focus, I should say, for taking care of the things that I'm responsible for. How about you? Hmm. As you were talking about getting out of bed in the morning, what struck me was the challenge of getting into the bed at night. And I, I think about the first, in the first couple months of the pandemic, how I would just be up at all hours of the night. Because I figured, well, I'm not going anywhere in the morning. There's really no place to go. So what's the point of honoring normative bedtimes and waking times and cycles of generally healthy life? So I would find myself so wound up that I couldn't go to sleep. And maybe sometimes I would play a video game or listen to some music or just do just do whatever. But the challenge was trying to quiet my mind to actually be in a restful state and space. And what would happen was that I would I would stay up super late, which meant that I would wake up late. And I would already feel like, oh, gosh, most of the morning is already done. And so I already feel behind the eight ball. And now I've got all this other stuff to catch up on. So rather than easing into the day, I just jump right into it because I feel like, well, I'm already late. I'm already behind. So let's just get to it. And there is no restful cycle in that. It's just always the either the recovery from all the stuff you had to do or the anticipation of all the stuff you got to do the next day. And I realized that part of it, it related to trying to get up in the morning. Sometimes that hard part is the anticipation. We have already gotten our minds wound up and charged up around the things that need doing. And most often that stuff was external. It was not stuff directly related to my well-being and personal development and growth so granted yes we understood we understand we're 
gainfully employed, which means if we want to remain so, we have work to do. We've got objectives to meet, things that need to get done, period. <laughs> Doing the and day. right. And because we've recognized there is no sidestepping that, we go ahead and do it. We figure it out. But that also comes with a cost when we're not creating a similar space or giving a similar urgency to caring for ourselves. So it's easy to say, here are all the things I have to do because I'm an adult and I'm responsible and these are my duties. But living out of a sense of perpetual duty rather than a sense of joy really makes it hard to just kind of day after day go into the same cycle, the same rhythms, and to, to not give ourselves the opportunity to ease into it. Uh, so I've been thinking about, you know, okay, what does it look like to really reclaim and rediscover your morning rituals? How do you start the day? Um, how do you make that time sacred and say, hey, I know there's stuff waiting, but right now I'm going to be here, present to my body, to my breath, to my emotions, and allow myself some room to expand into the day rather than letting the requirements of the day drag me out of my space. There's a lot of intentionality that is required in taking on these wellness practices and in, in focusing on starting the day with routine or with ritual, right? You you mentioned uh, kind of taking. I don't I don't want to do the the carpe diem thing because that feels like overblown and somewhat connected to mm -hmm. some sense of militaristic ritual. I don't know why I think that. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess the whole seize the day thing. Yeah, right? like I, maybe there's something like they were they using like were there like bumper stickers with carpe diem and they were like U.S. Army. I, I I'm really digressing in any case um yeah I I think about the amount of intentionality that it requires and how so much of that is connected to you being able to balance on both ends because it, like you're saying if, if you're staying up late into the night it's not possible to have that same kind of intentionality uh if you have to be up early in the morning right so the more that we do the, uh, what is it? Was it resistance behaviors? What is it? Protest behavior. Um, yes. In the, in the evening, the harder it is for us to start the day with that type of intention and, and embrace and not to take on anxiety and stress uh, because we're not rested and in our, in our best uh, mindset and physical state. There's a, uh, there's a tweet that I thought was really hilarious. Um, I think yesterday, actually, uh, this 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 person said, uh, "Microdosing freedom by not going to bed." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's hilarious because so true, very much putting me on front street. Um, but I I think about how the the lines have become blurred for us and so intentionality and ritual become more and more difficult because it is hard to maintain boundaries around where 
our responsibilities and our work can affect us and can be present with us in terms of what we need to get done on a daily basis. Um, it's, it's hard to feel like you have the energy for the level of intentionality that this kind of ritual requires and this being, whether, whether it's starting the day with meditation or intentions, with breathing exercises, with some yoga and stretching, like all of these things are things I think that a lot of us know would be good, but it's difficult to take them on when there's so much that moves you against that. And I, and I would say, I sometimes find it difficult to wrap my mind around how different my life is than what my parents' lives were like at a similar age because it feels very much like I have less time than they did. Yeah, that's that's very, and it's a, it's a wild feeling. I tr sometimes I try to think back to childhood and what it felt like living life with my parents. And I'm reminded of the things that did not populate their lives. They didn't have social media. They, uh, I guess at that point, they didn't, you know, there was no call waiting. <laughs> they, I don't even think we had an answering machine at the time. So it was, you know, missed calls were really missed calls. <laughs> you got them when you got them. Right. What, a, what an idea. People called each other. That's crazy. Who does that? Weirdos. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, like I think the rhythm of life was just different. Um, they weren't always plugged in the way we are. Um, but also their real wages in terms of like relation to inflation, their dollars went further at that point. So I, th I think now about what it means to be a, you know, by by certain metrics, a successful adult. And I, and I hesitate even to use that, that language because I don't think people are unsuccessful simply by virtue of facing certain challenges and difficulties that impact their autonomy or their earning potential and so forth, right? That's not... Those are not character flaws. Those are just realities of life's challenges. But I realize even as a person who is, you know, doing okay, quote unquote, it feels like, man, I, I'm swimming hard upstream trying to maintain being okay. Yep. yep. And I don't think it, you know, and I don't think everything just gets solved by Oh, well, you know, if I made more money. Now, I won't front. Some stuff gets solved with a bit more money. And I wouldn't mind having those problems if come, you know, more money, right? Please, let me have, you know, some of these more money problems. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like I, I think the the management of, of my life feels different. I also think about what it what it looks, how that's related to the way human lives are being played out now, more people living in isolation, um, a hyper uh, in, intense focus on individualism, 
Like people, I feel like don't have the same kind of sense of connection, community, village. And certainly some of that just practically, you know, these last couple of years, pandemic sapped a lot of that and undercut a lot of the connections that I think many people took for granted. Uh, but that also for many folk, these were their lifelines. Um, so something feels really different about being an adult now who, when I think about my my parents, I realized they had me and my siblings just at the point that they decided to have kids. It wasn't so much a, well, let's wait until we get all these other things, ducks in a row. It was more like, like I remember my mom saying this to me, you know, she got married at 24 uh, to my father and she said, yeah, you know, I felt like I'd done all this other stuff in my adult life. and kind of done what I wanted to do. And it seemed like, yeah, this is the time to get married and have kids. And we can, you know, talk about the, the virtues or values of that mindset. But at the core of it, they were like, OK, let's let's get to it. And we ain't getting no younger. We might as well do it. Indeed. <laughs> Meet me there. Right. So, uh, yeah, like I think there's there's the texture of life is just different because. I mean, I don't know if I, I'll keep it 100 at me at, you know, 24, 25. Nah, I play. <laughs> so, right. But also, <laughs> I was I really wanted to be married. Same, same. And dude, Idiot. like. It did. It's like it. It clearly. It clearly just did not. It did not work out for me. Um, Thank God it didn't for me. Cause good God, man. But like so, I, and I think then about like the person that I became as a result of that disappointment and having to like reshift and rethink. Cause for them, you know, it was just a very it, culturally it was a different landscape around marriage, around having family, around the nuclear family or extended family. Um, and so now I think folk or folk feel that pinch a little differently. So I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it's different being an adult. And we entered a world where the assumptions that our parents had when they came into adulthood are just not present in the same way. 100%. And you know, I I I these bills are not the same, man. Like what did they pay for? Like the phone subscription service, MCI, whatever it was. Like they, <laughs> yeah, cable. They didn't have to pay for internet, power, water, trash, car note, the house. Man, like we we literally have to pay for more things, and they are more expensive. Right. So when we yes. talk about inflation and how that's changed things too, like in a better part of a year, maybe 18 months, we've seen prices of everything go up by 10%. Yeah. We're getting slaughtered out here, you know? So then, then, so this then adds to this, the access that we have to some of the freedoms that 
make us feel better about what our day-to-day responsibility and work is. And so the more that you get into a position of not being able to have as much leeway, as much flexibility, like the more that it makes the the daily responsibility feel frustrating. That's that's a, at least in my in my experience. Like I I feel frustrated about the fact that my dollars are not stretching the same way, and that my real legitimate work and the way that I've been I'm being compensated for it. Yesterday's price is not today's price in the worst way. So it's not going in my favor. So um, that part is extremely frustrating and not something that um, I think we are we are talking about as openly as we should. Like th- things are getting tight for a lot of folks. It's beginning becoming really difficult. I don't know if you've looked at some of, well, you recently moved, looked at some of the rents mm-hmm. around Columbus. This is Columbus, Ohio. It's crazy. It is insane what folks are charging for 500 square feet. What planet is this? Where are we? (laughs) So, yeah, all of these things are, are so deeply intertwined and it's, and it's difficult to manage your adulting as it were taking care of all of the you know many responsibilities that you that we have to engage with if we're constantly feeling pressed to the point where emotionally we're not right and and that that disrupts your rest practice that puts you in positions where you're more likely to try to lean into some of the things that make you feel free that make you feel joy and entertained like and to to move away from the work of the day it increases the anxiety and stress around the work of the day so i think one of the things that's that's hard is like this is not this is not what we were sold on this is not what we were told this would be no not at all the thing that comes to mind for me is growing up and spending a lot of time with my grandparents and them coming from an era in which things like college education was not nearly a given. And so I was the the first generation of my family to go right to college and finish college all in succession. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, that it was never a question for me. It was okay, you're going to you're going to school and you're going to get a degree, you're going to get a job, you're going to you know, make a life for yourself. And my my grandfather would always emphasize particularly to my brothers and I, you know, the 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 old we were the oldest and uh he said to me, you know, your your grandmother and I, our job, our hope is uh, for you all to be self-sufficient so you can do for yourselves, you can care for yourselves. And so for a person coming out of the context of like deep South rural Mississippi, the 1930s, you know, I could understand that as, okay, that's a big step up from 
where you came from. Mm-hmm. And so looking at the kind of life my grandfather was able to build in light of where he started, I thought, okay, I get where his leanings are and what he sort of privileges as important. And this is the way to kind of go about your adult life. And I came into a world where I had a much different set of options, but also a very different set of consequences. All right, so I went away from home for school for school, and got to live in different places, have lots of experiences, do a lot of traveling, um, see some beautiful things, man, just learned a lot about the world and about myself. But also those decisions had consequence too. They were, they were costly too. You know, so I was in those formative stages of my adult life figuring out my stuff and going back to school and doing things that, you know, for my granddad, like when my granddad was the age I am now, he had been a pastor for 10 years and he had already had, you know, another career working for the postal service. And he also was a father of three and a homeowner and you know, so all the all these different aspects to life that were just a given for the way they were taught, the way they proceeded through things. It's like, man, I don't have any of that. And it's not that I'm disappointed or feel like, oh, something was lost. Or, but but I also do feel like, man, something something is lost. Like there's a kind of life, a kind of way of being that I'm not gonna have that my grandparents had or that my parents had. Like it's it's just gonna be different. You know, even if I, you know, had kids tomorrow, like they're coming into a much different situation than I did. They're encountering, they're gonna have a much different kind of parent than I had. Yes, indeed. Because I've been shaped differently by these experiences, by this, this world that we're in. Um, one of the things that I, I, I've come to recognize is important for me is being, being in tune with how I'm feeling about the life I'm creating, the life I'm crafting. Uh, adulthood comes with its responsibilities, but it also comes with an ability to make some choices about what you are and aren't going to live with, what you are and aren't going to hold on to. And what, I, what I'm what i very conscious of is, and I think related to what you said earlier, sometimes the, the way that people feel the crush, the press of life, it also produces some, at times, troubling and maybe extreme coping mechanisms. Yeah. Where like the desire to then like, erase the bad feeling the negativity of you know having to be on the grind the hustle for work then it's kind of like okay i need to go as far in the opposite direction as possible to sort of rinse that bad taste out of my mouth and like find a way to uh to sort of scratch the itch and then figure out how to get back to that work on monday because the weekends just feel too short and everything just feels like it's always being put off for, oh, well, you know, if I can just get through this week or if I can just get through next week. And 
when you're always feeling that way, it's like at some point there ain't gonna be too many more next weeks. Right. But we're not we're not taught to prioritize ourselves in that way and to think about to actively be about the practice of thinking about whether our lives are being lived the way we'd like them to. And I would I would even say that it's not possible for everybody to consider whether their life is being lived the way they'd like it to and then do something to change it. Having access to the, the capital that is required for that change to the level of education, talent, social mobility to be able to make those changes is something that is available to a select few of us. And those things like your education doesn't guarantee you access to it. So I, I think part of this is acknowledging that it requires that intention, but even that intention is not enough to be able to, to change your circumstances. I, I have a, I feel like a lot of our conversations come back to some level of criticism of our, our capitalist system of, of being uh, in this country. But um, I think it's important to point out how much of our, our daily circumstances, the ways that our lives are being lived are dictated by the relationship between management and labor and how our labor is consistently undervalued as a tool for extracting wealth from the labor class, us, uh, and moving it over to the owner class. And so for so many of us, like the space that we have to to think and to slow down and to rest and um, to explore is actively removed. You mentioned earlier how your sleep patterns changed during the pandemic. And listen, like not all of us are designed to be up during the day. Some of us are just like there are folks who are introverts and there are folks folks who are extroverts and there are folks who are right-handed and there are folks who are left-handed. The world tends to be designed for the majority, but that doesn't mean that that's the way everybody gets down. And I think that the way the pandemic operated initially when folks was on lockdown is that it gave us the time and space to breathe and to think and to reset and to fall into patterns that more closely aligned with what is natural for us. Um, mm. For those of us who were able to maintain employment and work from home, like that was specific to that experience. Also, you and me ain't got no kids. So that also contributed to the fact <laughs> that we were able to explore these right. things. And as an aside, yeah, bro. I don't know how y'all be doing it. How do you come home from your job and then be running behind some children at the house? It is it is incredible to me. And so if you are a parent listening to this, I salute you because I cannot imagine where your energy comes from. I barely have the energy to feed myself um, on, a, on a daily basis. So, wow, just your superheroes, clearly. Um, but yeah, just that reset. Um, 
it really did give us space to explore and to to not be at like this heightened level all the time. And I have a significant sadness about how willing we have been collectively to give that back. And, and a sadness about what it has cost us to just, to just hand it over because someone told us it would be the better thing to do. Um, yeah, so there is, there, I, we, we need the ability to explore in that way. We need um, the chance to, to, to find where our center is and to kind of unlock our creativity. Um, those things don't happen well when we are constantly inundated with responsibility. And, and you, when, you, when you evaluate that, I think part of my personal meditations during the pan, during the early part of the pandemic was that I I recognized how how different I felt and how how much that was a better place to be emotionally and physically than what my daily busyness was because I, I like the the thing the thing that I have not given back is just giving people access to my time left and right and having like something on the to-do list some place to go after work every single day because that's that's really what my life looked like at that time and I I don't even know how I was doing it but it has become our norm and we, and we don't evaluate how much of that is not really contributing to us having joy about the way that our lives are going. And I think fitting into so much, so much about what we, what we choose to do individually is about kind of the tide and where everyone else is going. And so if everyone else is going back to normal, then, then we got to go too, even if we know that that wasn't good for us. Normalcy can be a deceptive word for stuck. Yeah. And what I've recognized from my life is of all the things I want to be, stuck ain't one of them. And granted, for the vast majority of people on this planet, work is a necessity. It's a thing you have to do. Or you got to have connection, access to resources that enable you to have a different relationship to labor. But for the bulk of us who got to get up and go to work and do a job, I'm like, if I got to do that, I don't want to feel stuck. I don't want to feel like I don't have choices. Yeah. That I don't have the ability to change course and to seek some measure of fulfillment. I think all human beings on some level desire a measure of personal fulfillment. To be satisfied in life, to uh, have more than just survival, but to really flourish and thrive in some way. 
And it's difficult to do that if you feel stuck. If you feel like so much of your life has been overdetermined for you and you're just playing it out until the lights go out. Like, that is not the way I want to live. And I recognize it's the way that many people feel like they're living. Even people who are out here, you know, securing the bag, et cetera. I think about how many unhappy people I have met who are doing well, but are stuck in the cycle it takes to maintain that image, that veneer, the, uh, the trappings of doing well. I, I'm thinking of uh, a preacher I saw on social media who was having this discussion about how the thing people really want most isn't money. And he talked about, and you know, he gave all these examples, you know, if I gave you a million dollars, if I, you know, if I gave you a million dollars, you know, but said, you got to die tomorrow, like, which would you want, like, you want you want to live. You don't want the million dollars more than you want to live. So clearly, money is not more valuable than your life. Um, and he goes on and gives these other examples and says, you know, money is not more valuable than your health. It's not more valuable than your relationships. And as you start to recognize that money is just this tool, this way of managing the ability to control our time, to control and manage what it is we do, to manage our choices. I'm like, that's the real, the real luxury is leisure. To be able to put this stuff down and say, you know what? I ain't got to do nothing. And so we find ourselves in these cycles in adulthood where we are working long and hard for our leisure. Yes. And we're working longer and harder for a comparatively small amount of leisure for short vacations um short and more expensive vacations among for you know minor pleasures day to day and so much of this now that i'm older and i'm able to afford some of the things that i just want and don't necessarily need what I recognize is that my desire isn't fundamentally about uh, accumulating more things. In fact, I'm really kind of happy with fewer things. I like a little space. I like to be able to move around, just have a comfortable space, all of that jazz, right? But I realize it's really about the power over choices, the power and flexibility to decide, here's how I will shape my life. Here's what it's going to look like. Yeah. Here's what my leisure will look like in my relationships. And so I I truly believe what a lot of people are experiencing. And perhaps this is related even to the, you know, the advent, the development of that term we call adulting. Like people just used to be grown. Like no one was adulting when our parents <laughs> were raising us. It was just, you're grown. You do what you got to do. Responsibilities, right? But I even think this language of adulting is a kind of way of displacing like, yo, here's all this stuff we are handed to do and required to do in order to just maintain a life. And in some ways, it, it just becomes clear that the bargain ain't what we thought, but also recognizing that the question for me is, so what do we do about that? 
where do we find some respite, some breath, some uh, some breathing room, some ability to move around? Because it's one thing to know, yeah, this ain't it and this isn't sustainable, but it's another to actually then make some concrete moves to, to transform and shift your life. Yeah. I just I just was curious when you mentioned the the advent of the word adulting and it takes off on on Google when when it shows the 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 usage graph. Um, uh-huh. It takes off in 2008. Mm. Housing. Yes. Crisis. Yes. Housing crisis recession. It takes off in 2008. So, right. Like this idea is connected to what we think about in terms of what we have to do to earn not to you know bring up the name of another podcast our leisure um but to that point i think it's i think it's really sad that we are that we accept a system that says that we should have to earn leisure as if leisure is not something that should be a human right as if like we don't understand that our humanity demands leisure, but we have accepted a system and in many cases accepted internalized, excuse me, beliefs around leisure, that it is a thing to be earned, that certain people shouldn't get it. And that's built in if you think about it, because I mean, I worked I worked at Sonic Drive-In in high school and nobody had no vacation time. You know what I'm saying? Like you was on the clock, you was on the schedule, on a weekly basis, you know, like you could ask for time off, but it's not paid. You got to work for all the time that you're supposed to be there. So if you're a person who's working that job, if that's the job that is the primary source of your income, you don't get leisure. You can't leave for a week unless you have made provisions or, or saved provisions to be able to afford to not be on a job for that amount of time. And that can't happen with the way that the system is designed because you're not paying people for the work that they're doing. I had a conversation with a colleague about tipping um, and particularly, particularly tipping when you are just picking up food from a restaurant, not when you're staying there to, to eat. And not, you know, not a situation of like tooting my own horn, but like, because it costs me and it's not great, but I, I tip even when I don't eat at the restaurant. And part of that is because I realized like these corporations are not paying their workers wages that they deserve. And my brother is a chef. He works in food service. So like, I understand intricately and intimately that it's not, they're not pay, paid equitable wages, particularly for the work that they do, being on their feet constantly. And oh, by the way, doing all this in a pandemic where you come in contact with all of these strangers, which makes it dangerous for you. And the, the health ramifications of that are difficult to, to deal with. Like all of those things, like for me, are reasons to make sure that, you know, we're, we're, taking care of those folks. Now, should it be my responsibility to do that? No, but this is the tension between the world that is and the world that ought to be. Um, 
So if I have the ability, like that's why I do it because it's garbage, right? Like we, we, we really do, we really do require a, a general re-education around what is, what should each person have? And what if our lives weren't so um, completely intertwined with the idea of what we can produce? We know in in the um, in 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 our shared friend group, uh, mm-hmm. we have a bunch of people who have you know uh, graduate degrees and who are gainfully employed and all of these things like we all know that you know this is our humanity sh- deserves uh to be respected in such a way that all of us should have vacation and leisure and joy but i think that we we there is a gap between that understanding and how we operate and what we what we actually do in our own lives and how we allow ourselves to experience leisure and slowing down um yeah i that the the idea of having to earn that kind of rest is really frustrating to me it's really it's it, as we talk about it, it's kind of upsetting man like, No, I I get it. I get it, man. It it reminds me that those who often feel the brunt of these inequalities are often the ones who are most empathetic to others experiencing it. So it matters that you are a person who feels that sense of responsibility to say, hey, you know what? Let me give this tip because I know what the situation is and I want to do something to alleviate that. The irony is that when, if we think of philanthropy, right, this kind of giving out of one's, you know, resources or largesse, I'm like, folk with very little really are the greatest philanthropists. Yep. Like, like philanthropy on the sort of large scale, corporate scale exists as a way of generating goodwill that allows wealthy folk and corporations to stay wealthy and people not be mad, as mad about it. There it is. You know, so, cause, cause don't nobody want to not be rich if they've been rich, but it doesn't actually change the fundamental landscape. It doesn't, it doesn't redress the systems that uh, produce inequality as a matter of habit and intention like this isn't accidental this is nope. this is the way the game works um and so when we think about how all of that translates into um our outcomes um our our happiness our ability to seek joy as adults some of it man is you re- you realize how people are differently having to manage and carry the weight of ultimately a sense of despair, a sense of recognition that, yo, this stuff is a setup from the beginning. Yeah. And quite honestly, 
the the mechanisms for man i don't know this, this is frustrating for me right like as a person who you know is a is an, is an educator and who values being able to think well about a variety of things to uh have a meaningful and as a person who has a meaningful background in both the humanities and the hard sciences i'm like it's not an either or for me it it like it matters to be able to have a way of engaging this world but i think about how increasingly the ways people are being funneled towards and through school is all about the economic outcome Man. and i can't entirely and i can't entirely be mad at that i cuz i get it i don't want folk to Listen, if I have kids and they go to college, I don't want them coming out with like a bajillion dollars in debt, bro. Like, I don't I don't want that for them, like, because that's going to be a weight around their neck. It and it creates a barrier to getting a jump start in this world and ultimately being able to do more than just scrape by. Yeah. But. The frustration then for me is everything just becomes about the race to get a larger chunk of the resources than someone else. And I'm like, bro, this can't be life. Like, this can't be it. There's got to be more than this. And I think the more for me, I realize it's not going to come through. It's not really going to come through a bigger paycheck. Like, that's not, like, I think everybody wants to be okay, but there's a certain extent to which, man, you know, how, like, how different are our lives if our, if we knew our needs are met fundamentally already, and we're not out here scraping by or hustling just to make the basic needs and necessities okay like i think that would really radically change our lives and absent you know a powerful will for these things to change i mean i'm reminded of a quote um from a book i've been reading with some of my students and uh in it it's a, there's this idea that all change is the result of either threat or pressure and i think to myself you know if the powers that be feel no threat or pressure to make life better for human beings, then ain't nothing changing. Word. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that also, a part of this is, is that it requires us to interrogate ourselves and our own beliefs about um, the value of, of our work and the value of what we produce and what we think that means about us. Mm -hmm. Because the idea of, of be believing that we need to earn things that are necessary for us to live is on some level also believing that someone should not be able to have those things. I, you know, I, I, it's hard for, it's hard, it's hard for me to reconcile the idea that someone, uh, that, that we can be so individualistic and competitive around how we, 
uh, move and grow um, and how we advance in our careers and how we get the bag or whatever. And then also believe that those are the things that give us access to not only our the you know the the necessities in terms of you know our food and our shelter um but also just being able to have joy so like only only mm-hmm. the only the most wealthy among us should be able to go on a beautiful vacation and see the other beautiful parts of our planet that's it and that's the best we can imagine for ourselves and for others. So the only way we should be able to have access to that is if we win the game. And the idea about winning the game is like there have to be losers. There's no way around that. And and in, in general, I just think we we when we when we start with the level of intentionality that it requires to um to start our days with um slowing down and recognizing ourselves and our bodies and taking good care of ourselves in that way uh resting the ways that we need to i think that that type of internal work inevitably will draw your attention to the fact that it's not accessible to everybody and that there's a deep problem with that and it's one that we cannot contend with individually yeah there there is no individual solution to these problems there are individual coping mechanisms there are individual escape hatches and ultimately what i recognize is that there, there is no true freedom or liberation for all unless all see themselves as somehow responsible as part of it. Uh, I think about this often, and yeah, as you mentioned before, you know, I moved um, not too long ago. And the thing that struck me was I don't have neighbors. I just have people who live nearby. Word, yeah. Because what's clear for me is that like to be a neighbor implies a relational reality with intention, with care, with reciprocity. I just live near folk who all also pay to be in this location in a walkable neighborhood near various attractions and shops and restaurants and bars and all of that jazz. And I, you know, I ain't mad about where I live. I enjoy it. I like it very much. But I'm also very clear that the trappings and spoils of a certain kind of life don't alleviate the core existential crisis. The thing that people are really troubled by, like, you know, living in a nicer place doesn't change the fact that you're lonely. Doesn't change the fact that you're trying to make friends. Doesn't change the fact that you want to be loved or cared for or that you miss having people hug you. Like when I think about all the sorts of deprivations, especially that people were experiencing at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm reminded, yo, the actual substance and fabric of what makes life worth living is not in this stuff. It's not 
and the ability to uh, build and solidify this fortified life that no one can touch me. I'm invulnerable. I'm impenetrable. But actually, what makes my adult life bearable and meaningful is other people. Yeah. Is love and connection. And that's the thing that, you know, you shouldn't have to hustle and grind for. And really, you can't. You can't. Like, the, the humility for me in becoming an adult has been recognizing that all of my striving to be self-sufficient is kind of beside the point. Like the point of life is not to do it alone. It's to figure out who do you want to do this with? Yeah, yeah. And more and more, like I, I, I understand that when I'm back home and I'm holding my little nieces and nephews and I'm hanging out with my siblings and kicking it with my family. Uh, you know, I was just home not long ago to uh, celebrate my brother's birthday and have dinner with him. And I realized like, this is the stuff that makes adult life worth it. Like, hey, you know what? I had the resources to go back home. Resources to get a hotel because I'm like that. I like to be comfy. I like a nice king size bed. It's, you know, that's what I like. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> but I was able to do it. And that meant something. It was like, okay, this stuff isn't impossible, right? Like there, there's sort of little possibilities every day that remind you we can put to work this, this labor, this energy, these resources uh, to doing things that actually matter to us. Yeah. Yeah, man. So before we wrap up, y'all know what time it is. It's time for Really Bruh. Once again, uh, I really want to get some imaging for Really Bruh. We're going to do it. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get in the lab and work on this. <laughs> so this week, this week's Really Bruh is focused on a series of articles, tweets that went out earlier saying that a billion snow crabs disappeared from Alaskan waters. And I don't know about you, Kyle, but I I scrolled past this. I saw it on Twitter, just that a billion crabs disappeared. And I think maybe my mind may have registered the idea that this had something to do with climate change, but I just kind of kept it moving and didn't really engage with it critically. How about you? Yeah, I... First, I thought this is a somewhat sensational headline. A billion crabs disappeared. Like, okay, was it? They were saying they were saying the crab season or the yeah the they canceled the 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 crab season, snow crab season. Yeah, and I was like, well, okay, I'm guessing this wasn't like a magic trick by like David Blaine or something. So, where did the billion crabs go? Like, what became of them? Are they were the crabs just producing fewer, right? Did some of them die off because of the changes in the you know water temperatures? And there's so many questions I had that were not being answered, but they made sure to hit us with this number: billion crabs disappeared. What they, what they also made sure to do, and it's like 
you go, I see Al Jazeera, CNN, I don't know what Mass Live is, Global Citizen, I'm sad to say, but The Shade Room, Politico, all of these different outlets have used the word disappear. And crabs don't disappear, fam. Like magic is not like on this scale. That's not how that works. No. What are we talking about when the sources of information, not the shade room, the sources of information mm. are saying the word disappeared and they're just sharing it broadly? Like what? quote unquote reliable sources are using this term yeah like the the crabs did not vaporize into thin air or dissipate or dissolve into the water like there's some there, there's stuff at work for why these kinds of natural or unnatural events are taking place the challenge for me is one, you shouldn't have to do all of that interpretive work to figure out, okay, what are you actually saying here? What are you talking about? I mean, I, listen, I'm alarmed at all kinds of stuff. I mean, I was having a conversation with someone the other night who was saying, uh, talking about uh, reading some reports about, uh, you know, potentially by like 2075 or 2080, um, like two thirds of the land mass of like Florida could be lost because of rising sea like that's that's crazy to me like i could and I, you know I, who knows how long i'm gonna live but like i could theoretically like have a lifespan that reaches that and i'm trying to i'm trying to imagine being like yeah you know back in my day you know we used it to go to miami, miami. right <laughs> <laughs> and now miami's in atlantis right like what do you i don't so so this so like puts it in perspective like the craziness of these kinds of uh these kinds of events these kinds of situations i'm like bruh this is too much it's too yeah. much so if you go into the article it says that the snow crab population shrank from about 8 billion in 2018 to 1 billion in 2021 so immediately upon reading the article we have a sense that like this is not just a disappearance that's taking place. Though all of these outlets have agreed to use the term disappear, this is not what's happened. And it goes on to further say that scientists are not baffled by this, but that they think that warming waters has something to do with it, right? So it, it seems very intentional because of the level of agreement from all these different sources that there needs to be a a passive word used to describe what's going on so as not to implicate those who are responsible for such a significant and large die-off that you won't be, that it will be impossible for us not to notice because we like eating crab. And when the crab is not on the shelf or when the crab that is on the shelf is $139.99 per pound, then uh. it's gonna be an issue and telling people that the crabs just disappeared helps them not to find someone to be mad at. The other part that's, that's bothersome here is like, we are two people with PhDs. So engaging critically with articles is something that we are used to and trained to doing, trained to do, even though I can't say it 
clearly I, I am trained to do it. Uh, the point here being that most people are not trained to engage at that level with all of the media that they come into contact with. And we can't expect to have to do that with every single article that we that we read. And so if we can't trust our our news outlets to tell us something that is not just nonsensical, right? They, they've been lying to us. That's not new. But when you're using such, like when you're brazenly using a word like disappear to describe a die-off of what, 87.5% mm-hmm. of a species? That's that's unconscionable, right? Like that's that's not that that cannot be how we we're engaging, and it's not possible for us to be critical of everything. It isn't like it takes far too much energy for us to take in and process and interpret everything that we're inundated with. the The challenge, you know, is that we live so deeply in the information age, but we do not live in the knowledge age, we do not live in the wisdom age, we do not live in an age in which um, human abilities to interpret our world and make sense of things has caught up to the sheer amount of stuff we're trying to process. I, once again, I go back to thinking about our, you know, parents and grandparents, they just didn't, like, they didn't see as much stuff in a day, not nearly as much TV not no internet, no smartphones. So they weren't constant. I mean, right, they were still taking in images and stuff, but just not at the rate and the pace and the like, just the general tenor that it is now. Like stuff is weird, man. Yeah, like, ugh. I'm trying to get like them. I need less. Just, I need, yeah. to, I need to turn it off. <laughs> It's like, man, I spent all the, all my life trying to, you know, grow up and like have money and do stuff and be grown. All to realize, man, you know what? I actually just enjoy doing less. Like enough is actually fine. Right. So, yeah. Um, really? We, we really talking about crabs disappearing? That's what we're doing? really bro <laughs> like it's i mean you know it's a it's a symptom of the world in which we're living and strangely you know it's no it's never anyone's fault Man, it's never anyone's fault don't get me started and on that note Thank you for listening to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. Um, it is exciting to continue to do this show and have y'all listen to it. So thank you for continuing to journey with us and we will catch you on the next one. All right, y'all. Have a beautiful day. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. 
You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.